Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Well, good morning. We're going to be preaching from the Word of God today, so I hope you brought your Bible. If you didn't, we do have Bibles in the back of the pew there, but you're certainly welcome to use your phone or your iPad. I use my iPad uh, to get uh, the, the Scripture. We're in John chapter 7, so you might want to go ahead and turn there, John chapter 7. Uh, those of you on Facebook, I ask you to go ahead and read John 7. It's going to help you understand a little bit about what we're talking about today. And uh, that is living water, living water for a thirsty soul. Uh, we're all thirsty, and we're all for thirsty for the same thing, but we try all kind of ways to get there. But let me tell you a little bit about thirst. Uh, how many of y'all from the low country? Anybody here? I mean, born and raised, born and bred, low country. What is your least favorite time of the year in the low country? Is it not August with the humidity. Am I right? All right. Well, let me tell you how they worked football back in those days. Uh, what they decided is, what is, they said, what is the hottest day, month, time of the year? What is that? Tell me what it is. And they, exactly. And they say, August. They said, I know what we can do. We can start two-a-days for football in August. Wouldn't that be great? And let's get them to put their helmets on, and let's get them to put the shoulder pads on and all their outfit and make, make it so that you're super hot. At just a wonderful time of the year. And so what they would do, and back in our day, the whole goal was to weed out the weak people. And so they would try to find who was the weakest, and they would kill us off. And so they would do these two-a-day things, and we would go in the hot, hot it wasn't as hot in the morning, but by the afternoon, it got super hot. And that's when we started two-a-days in football. And I got to tell you, it was oppressive. And at the end of football, what would happen is that they would actually say, all right, guys, football's over, and your prize is you get to drink water out of, and those Charlestonians know what I'm about to say, out of a rubber hose pipe. It's a rubber hose, you know, out of the faucet. And it was warm, but we didn't care because we hadn't had anything to drink for two hours. I know if, they, if you did that in football now, they'd throw you under the jail, but, man, they were just trying to kill us off, get rid of the weak people. They only wanted strong people on the football team. So, man, we would get to that point in football, and we would get that water hose, and the coach would say, go, and it was a race to see who could get to that hot water hose first. They'd cut that thing on, and, man, we would get that water. We'd just suck that water down, and it tasted so sweet, rubber taste and everything. It didn't matter because we were dying of thirst. Anybody ever felt that before? Maybe ever, somebody, it didn't matter what the water was. You were just glad you had water in your mouth. Well, let's look at John chapter 7, look at verses 37 to 39, and we're going to read this passage. Please, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and when you find that passage, just stand with me and begin reading. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit, 
Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Lord God, I pray that this, this precious word would impact our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit that is now within us because you have been glorified. Father, when you speak to us, may we obey. Would you pray that prayer in your heart right now? Lord, just say it in your heart, Lord, when you speak to me, I will obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So what we have here is we have this idea of living water. Now, the difference between living water and stagnant water is obvious. Is there anybody here that would really like to drink out of a stagnant pool of water where the algae has kind of grown in? You kind of have to push it to the side. Sand, bugs are in it. Who knows what animals have been in it? And, you know, say, you want to drink a water? No. You would want to drink living water. Living water is moving water. Matter of fact, in the early church, there was a discussion on whether or not you should even be baptized in anything but living water. Did y'all see everybody that got baptized in Jordan River this past week? That was kind of cool. That was living water. It's moving water. Now, I learned as a child that you don't drink from puddles in, in a cow field. What you do, my granddad was very serious with us. He says you go up to the top of the mountain, a hill. It was a hill mountain, whatever. It's bigger than a hill, but not quite a mountain. And there's where the springs are, and where the springs start flowing out, you drink off the rocks, the shallow rocks, right up at the top, because the animals hadn't gotten to it yet. And that's what we did. We go on long horseback rides, and we go up to the top of that place, and there was this fountain, just beautiful water running down it, and that's where we'd get our water. We didn't bring water with us. We got to drink from living water, and it was a lot better than that water from a rubber hose pipe. It was wonderful. That's what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 7, verses uh, 37 to 39, talking about this living water that's going to really satisfy. That's the idea. Because what we want in our lives is not what we really need. We need to have living water for our thirsty souls, our souls that are thirsting for what God wants to use us for, thirsting for God's plan, thirsting for God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just before this, in John chapter 6, an interesting thing had happened. Jesus had all these people following him. They were all excited. He had fed fed them, and he had healed, and he had done all these wonderful, incredible things, and he had taught them deep words of the faith. And, man, they were all excited. And then Jesus turns to them into John chapter 6, and he says, If you want to be my follower, then you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, Jesus, all that stuff you did was real cool, but we're kind of parting ways right now. That is too weird. Now, they don't, we, don't have the, uh, we have the privilege of being able to know about the Lord's Supper, and we have the privilege about knowing Jesus shed his blood for us and gave his broken body for us, and we understand all that now, and we understand what he was saying to them. They did not get it at all, and only a few people stayed. And then if you skip to John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. So we have sandwiched in between those two ideas, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and I am the light of the world. You have sandwiched in between John chapter 7 where he talks about having true satisfaction that is only found in a relationship with him. Now let me give you a little bit of history. What was going on, his brothers came to him and said, 
hey, dude, you need to go to this festival. You read the first part of John, you'll read this. You need to go to this festival. People really need to see who you are. Now, his brothers are kind of embarrassed because Jesus had said that stuff about drinking blood and eating flesh. So he said, Jesus said, you know, let's just get off that, go to the festival, and really do some big-time miracles so everybody can, like, be pumped up about you again. Because you really blew it. You really messed up. They didn't say that. I'm adding this in. But you really messed up with those words, you know. You need to get everything straight. You need to do some damage control. And Jesus looked at him and said, nope, not going. It's not my time yet. And they looked at him. They said, well, we're going to go. He said, go ahead. You go. So they went. And then about halfway through the festival, Jesus went, but he went up privately. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. And then he stands up and he begins to teach. And that's part of what we're going to study today is he began to teach what it meant to have real satisfaction, where real satisfaction was found. And that's where we find ourselves. It's the Feast of Booths. That's the festival. It was a a time when what the Israelites did is for a long period of time, about eight eight days, they got together and they built these booths out of of, uh, palmetto uh, leaves, or palmetto, (laughs) palm leaves. They don't have palmettos over there. Palm, Palm leaves. And uh, they, they built these booths, and the men would stay in the booths. The women and children didn't, just the men. And they would do it for eight days, and they would eat, and they would have a big time. They would just have a wonderful time. It was, just, it was a festival. It wasn't a fast. It was a feast. And they would have a big time. And it was a wonderful time. Why anybody wouldn't want to go? The brothers couldn't figure it out why Jesus didn't want to go, because it was just one of the most fun things that they ever did. But Jesus stayed back. And so they're here and they're rejoicing. The purpose of the Festival of Booths was to be able to rejoice in what God had done for them when they were in the desert and needed his strength, needed his uh, supply, needed his support, needed his water, needed his manna, needed his whatever it was. They needed him. And they understood that. And so that's what the festival, of Bo- the Feast of Booths or the Festival of Booths was all about. And it was also a time to celebrate God for him providing for them in the now. And so they did all that together. So here, here are the brothers. They want him to go up. They want him to make himself known again in this time. And by the way, that wasn't such a weird thing because uh, teachers usually were public. They didn't want to, it wasn't private. They wanted the, the religious leaders to be able to kind of give their input into what was going on. So the teachers... Uh, were supposed to be public, so it wasn't a weird thing for his brothers to ask. It was just the wrong thing. Because Jesus understood timing, and they did not. Jesus understood that it was not yet his time. They didn't get that. They just wanted their family name to be clear. They didn't want their brother to be this one that said, people got to eat his, eat his skin and drink his blood. You know? So that was what they were all about. They didn't understand the purposes or plan of God. They didn't understand that Jesus was about them finding real satisfaction in him through the living water that would live inside of them. And that would come at his time when he was supposed to do it. And God has placed in each of us a God-shaped vacuum. And there is nothing that will fill that vacuum except God. There's some of you that are trying to fill your life with things like busyness. Now, I get it. I understand. There are times in your life when you're just going through a lot and you don't want your mind to race and so you just stay busy so you don't have that 
whatever the issue is that you're going on, to just kind of get it out of your mind so you can kind of concentrate on something kind of mundane and just stay busy. I get that, but that's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about the way you run your life. You run from hither to thither to yonder. To, I mean, you're just always running. You're always moving. You always got to be doing something. You, don't always, you never want to sit still. You never want to be quiet. That busyness of life. And you think if you fill your life with things and stuff, you know, that you got to go to and you got to be at, that somehow that's going to fulfill you. But then you get to the end of the day and you're all alone and you're just empty. Others of you, you might fill your life with possessions. Now I have right here, right here. I'm so happy for this thing. This is an iPad 2019 Air 3 my wife got for me for Christmas. Thank you, honey. Where are you? There she is. She go, now, I got to tell you, man, I opened that thing, and my stomach went flip-flop. Oh, I'm fulfilled. Oh, this is so good. I've been wanting a new iPad for four years, and now I have one. And then I had to set it up. <laughs> and I asked my wife. It sat by the chair for three days because I didn't want to mess with it. Three days. All of a sudden, I thought I was fulfilled, and all it did was drain my cup. Ugh, I got to do that now. Now, some for some of us, it might, might might not be a new iPad. It might be a new car. Might be a new house. Might be new clothes. Might be new whatever. But some kind of possession that, if you could just get your hands on that, life would be different. I would be so full and filled. And you get it, and it ain't all that, is it? Some of you try to fill your life with pleasure, going from food to food, restaurant to restaurant, watching all the food shows. If I can just go to that restaurant, just go to that place, if I can just follow this around, if I can just get this kind of food, if I can just eat this, and we try to literally fill the emptiness with food. Pleasure of food, pleasure of drinking alcohol and wine. and Oh, if I can just get that newest wine. Oh, I've just heard about that thing, and it's just so wonderful. They talk about it on the Food Channel. And then some of us kind of take a, a dark drop, and we try to find fulfillment in the latest designer drug. If I can just get that drug, and it'll get me what I need. It'll get me through. It'll fill me up, and all it does is make you more empty than you have ever been. And no one's ever made bad stuff happen because they've reached for alcohol and drugs, have they? See, we're trying to fill ourselves with all the wrong things. But Jesus comes and he says, I have for you living water. It will make it so that in John chapter 4, you will never thirst again. Not something that will be here and then gone. It's something that will last, not just for now, but for eternity. It's not just fulfillment now, it's for all of eternity. What do you want to fill your life with? With children, sports, video games, newest movies, house, education, newest schools, best schools. We're going to demonstrate to you today that only Jesus can satisfy you. He is that living water that we long for so much. And he is that living water for our thirsty souls. 
But let's look how we do that. Number one, satisfaction comes by knowing the Savior. Satisfaction comes by knowing the Savior. Now, if you will, good, look at uh, verses. Uh, we're going to look at ver- uh, chapter 7 again. And we're going to look at verses, uh, let's see here. Let's look at verse 27, 8, 9, and 31, okay? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. As he was teaching in the temple complex, Jesus cried out, You know me. Now, I want you to hear how many times the word know is used. And you know where I'm from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. And you don't know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. However, many of the crowd believed in him, verse 31, and said, When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? Notice how many times the word know is used. Now, the book of John was written for two reasons. That you may know that you have eternal life. And you may believe in his name. John chapter 20, verse 31 is very clear about that. We can know and believe. And by the way, we have a no-so salvation. Not a hope-so or a think-so salvation. It is a no-so salvation. So it is not by accident that Jesus uses the word know over and over and over and over again. But... There are different ways to know Jesus because we have misunderstood what Jesus is about. You see, we need to know Jesus in what we call an experiential way. It is not knowing about Jesus, it's knowing Jesus, having a relationship. How many of y'all know people that you know their name but you don't know anything about them? Anybody know people like that? I think all of us are there, right? Okay. We know about people. You know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I, I think I've met him once. Somebody says, do you know Jesus? And you know, oh, yeah, I, I, I think I've met him once. I know about him. I heard him on the TV. I heard, about his, I heard his name one time. And I know they know his name because they use it as a curse word, blasphemy, every day. They use the precious name of my Lord as a blasphemous name to curse something. I know they know his name. But you know, when I, when I look at verse 27, look, look at what Jesus says again. He says these words, but we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Now, these are some confused people. We know where this man's from. We don't know where this man's from. Da, 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 da. You know, they go on, they're confused. So they just know, number one, here's the difference. They know about Jesus. Now, let me tell you what was going on in that ancient world in those days. There was a lot of knowledge. The scribes knew about the Bible. People had memorized Scripture. The people that they were ta- that Jesus was talking to, they were very knowledgeable. They also had Socrates and Plato. They had a lot of knowledge. The Greeks had that. The Jews had their own knowledge. They had a lot of knowledge. And now Jesus is talking about knowing. But it's not just information. It's not just that. You see, Jesus didn't come to inform us. Jesus came to forgive us because we messed up. I messed up. Trey Rhodes has used the name of Jesus as a blasphemous word. Jesus came to save me from that. Max Lucado said it this way. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. 
But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. That's what he did for us. Forgiveness, full and free, is found in him. And that's what happens when we know Jesus. Here's the difference. These people, number, number one, you know, they thought they knew about Jesus. And maybe you're there today, and do you think you know about Jesus? You know his name. You know, I, I consider these people that grew up in church, and they're the ones on social media that always say, now, I grew up in a Christian home, and you know they're about to slam Christianity. I grew up homeschooled, and they're about to slam Christianity. I grew up uh, learning the Bible, and they're about to slam Christianity. These are the people that Jesus is talking about right at this point. They know about Jesus. And I'm sad to say there are people in this room right here that think they know about Jesus. That's good. I'm glad you know about Jesus because you've got to know about him first. But most people just stop there. So when we say somebody dies, you heard there was a lot of death this week. Robert Conrad died. Orson Bean died. Uh, one of the guys. And I said, I hope they knew Jesus. That's always my first words. hope they knew Jesus. We're not just talking about knowing about Jesus, though. And that leads us to number two. Do you think you know Jesus? Look at verse 28. Continue the thought. As he was teaching in the temple complex... This is the middle of the festival now. He showed up in Jerusalem. Jesus cried out, You know me, and you know where I am from, yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. You see, they thought they knew Jesus. But Jesus was very clear, You don't know me. It's not by accident. In the book of Matthew, it says, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. I do not know you. Some of you here today think you know Jesus. You think. As I said earlier, this is a no-so salvation. It's not a think-so. It's not a maybe-so. It's not a I-hope-so. It's a no-so. And that leads us to the third group of people, verses 29 to 31. I know him because I am from him. Jesus obviously knew, and he sent me However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, he's not going to perform any more signs than he's done. They began to understand. And these were the people that really knew Jesus. Because it was their belief and their experiential knowledge of who Christ was and what he had come to do. They understood that he had come and he had come for them. And they believed So the question is, do you really know Jesus? And I'm talking about what Jesus said in John chapter 10, a couple chapters later. He says these words, As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, when you know know Jesus, and he knows you, he has taken your place. This is what we call, in the theological world, substitutionary atonement. He died as a substitute for me. And even if I had died, I would have still split hell wide open. Jesus died in my place because he was the only one that could. Satisfaction comes from knowing about the Savior. You know where that is? I know because I know these things. That's the Pool of Siloam. 
And by the way, that's about where Jesus is talking about this in chapters 37, 38, and 39. The pool of Siloam, where you know what they would do? They would, in the, in the eighth, uh, during the time of the festival of booths, they would get giant, huge vats, and they would fill them with water, and they would bring them up to the altar, and they would pour them at the altar, and then the water would run down uh, out, of the, out of the temple and down into the streets, and the people would see that God had provided for his people when there was no hope of their provision. And so that's where Pastor Tommy's standing right now. Is that not cool? Right now. Folks, that's what the Pool of Siloam was for. It was always there so that they could fill those vats of water. And now Jesus is saying, one who is greater than the Pool of Siloam, who is going to satisfy you in a way that you will never thirst again and never ask again, is here among you. Look at verses 37 to 39. On the last and most important day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. Don't worry about these vats of water that are flowing that you see running down the street right now. I can imagine he's watching the water running down as this is happening. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water, this living water that is flowing down the street. You don't have to worry about whether it's going to be poured out of the pool of Siloam. It's going to be poured out of your hearts because of me. And it'll come from deep within. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed, those ones we just talked about, those who believed in Jesus were going to receive, they hadn't received him yet, were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Folks, our experience is real because the Spirit of God is real. The Spirit of God lives in us, and He is the living water. And when our focus is changed, from what was going on, which was they wanted real water, and God said, no, you let me be your supply. I'll give you the water you need when you need it. If you'll depend on me, I will give you water that you will have that you will never thirst again. Out of you will flow rivers of living water because I, through the Spirit of God, will live in you. And I change people. I transform people. See, when I was the age of 13, I went to hear Bob Harrington, the chapel, chaplain of Bourbon Street. And at the chaplain of Bourbon Street, he preached a message down the municipal auditorium in downtown Charleston, and he said these words. He said, if you want forgiveness, you need to come forward so we can show you from the Bible how you can get forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed. And here's this 13-year-old boy who had blasphemed the name of Christ, who had used filthy language who had rebelled against his parents, this 13-year-old boy who thought that he was better than everybody else, this 13-year-old boy who thought that he had it all together, this 13-year-old boy that had messed up time and time and time again. And that man stands up and says, you can have forgiveness because I have a Savior for you. And I walked forward and my Sunday school teacher was going to be my Sunday school teacher later on. Glenda Ott was at the front. And she said, do you want what he was talking about? I said, I want whatever it is. got to find forgiveness. She showed me from the Word of God how to get forgiveness for your life. And I walked out of that place a transformed person because the Spirit of God was now living inside of me. And rivers of living water began to flow out from me. Not because it's something I did. It's because of what he did inside me. Does that make sense? When Jesus transformed you, you changed. But the people weren't that way. They didn't get it. We know that because in John chapter 7, verse 12, we find these words. There was a lot of discussion about him, Jesus, 
among the crowds. They were discussing. Now, how many of you have been to Thanksgiving meals? And when you go to these Thanksgiving meals, you know, you have friendly discussions, right? Well, you hope they stay that way. Friendly discussions. Well, we were just having a friendly discussion. Sounded a little heated to me. <laughs> anyway, so they're having discussions about Jesus. But verse 32 goes on to say the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering. So now they go from discussion to that little heated thing where there's this little arguments going on there. They're going kind of at each other. And we know that's the case because in verse 43 it says, So a division occurred among the crowd because of him. Let me tell you, when Jesus makes a call to salvation, there will always be a division. Those who will follow and those who will not. Those who will not will make all kinds of excuses why they will not follow. But there will be a division. And Jesus, in his words, divided the people. Among believers and unbelievers. Numbers chapter 20 gives us the idea of what's going on in the pool of Siloam. We look at verse 2. Turn to Numbers 20 with me. Numbers chapter 20. It's in the Old Testament, almost to the very front. Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible. If you find Deuteronomy, go back. If you find Leviticus, go forward. Numbers chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 2. And we'll be there for just a minute, so don't turn from it. Because this is the picture of what the pool of Siloam and pouring the vats out was all about, all right? God's supply of water in the wilderness. There was no water for the community. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron, and the people quarreled. One translation puts it muttered, same word. Hebrew, Greek, same word translated one to the other. If we had only perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. What did they start doing? They got their eyes completely off God and started looking at the circumstances, didn't they? People quarreled, and if we'd only perished. And then listen to this gripe. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? They knew that God was using Moses. Think of all that had happened. They had seen the Red Sea split in half. And walk across on dry land. They had seen the pillar of the pillar, uh, uh, the cloud by day, and the pillar of fire at night. As a matter, of fact, matter of fact, they were seeing it right then. They knew God's presence was with them, and yet all they're doing is complaining. Why have you led us from Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It's not a place of grain and figs and vines and pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. You remember where they were? They were next to the Nile, so they were used to a lot of water. That's where they came from. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and they fell down with their faces to the ground. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, Take the staff and assemble uh, the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. Speak to the rock, note those words, and you will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had, he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring out water from this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice. No big deal, right? So that a great amount of water gushed out. Well, 
Water came out, so it must have been all right. And the community and their livestock drank. But, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to show me holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. So here, God supplied. Moses blows it. The people grumbled. Moses sought God. God supplied. Moses blew it. Because you did not trust me. So if we're going to find satisfaction, it really comes down to trust. You see, we always want a way out. We want, I'm the person I want to figure a way out of this. I think like, you know, if I just got a way out, then I'll be okay. I saw a thing on Facebook, and it said these words. It said, uh, God doesn't always open a door or make a window to get out. That's really the point, isn't it? He will give you more than you can handle. That's really the point, isn't it? Because between what you can handle and what God does, that's supernatural. And we get to see God work supernaturally. So how do we find satisfaction? Number one, we trust the Lord. We don't complain against him. I'm afraid that's the first thing. We, that's our, almost, our always, our, almost always our first response. We complain. Ugh, here I am serving the Lord, trying to do the Lord's work. And what does he do? He drops his bomb on me. You know, here I'm getting ready to preach, and some guy steals my bike out of my house, or off, out of my house yesterday. And there you go, what in the world? Well, I, actually, uh, believe it or not, I passed that test, which, because of my neighbor, I didn't want to be a bad testimony to him, and he was all upset, and he was trying to find on his camera who the guy was and all that stuff. And I said, well, the guy must have wanted it more, needed it more than I did. So, uh, you know, he, he got my bike. That's all right. So hopefully that was a good testimony. Trust the Lord, don't complain. But, you know, there's going to be things like that that happen in our lives. Don't let your first response be complaints. Be like Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Seek the Lord. Don't avoid him. You know, that's what happened. The people come to, to Moses, and instead of Moses going out there and trying to argue with him, what does he do? He goes to the feet, feet of the Lord. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and they fell down on their faces to the ground. That's seeking the Lord. So instead of the response being complaint, the response should be seeking Him. Seek the Lord. Don't avoid Him. That's how we find satisfaction. We depend upon the Lord. And then third, we listen to the Lord. We don't ignore Him. Look at verses 7 and 8. got to find verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water, and you will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community. So Moses took the staff. He listened to the Lord. He didn't say, Lord, no, that's not what I was asking. What I was asking is, I got a better idea. I got a better way, Lord. No, he did exactly, you know, right at that point, he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Go out there and do this. Don't ignore him. When God says to do something, do it. Most of us don't do that, though, do we? We want to find a way out. And then obey the Lord. Don't help him. You see, what Moses did is Moses struck the rock twice. God said to speak to the rock. 
Moses struck the rock, and he didn't just strike the rock, he struck it twice. Jesus was slain once. He, was, he is the rock. He was slain once, and out of that rock was flowing rivers of living water. He was not to be struck anymore. That had already happened once before. He would never be struck again. He died once for sin. We don't need to help the Lord. Moses thought he could help the Lord. We all think that we can do that. So it all comes down to trusting him. What we do is we trust. And then John 4.14 comes true. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again, ever. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. You see, when we trust God, God brings our satisfaction out of us through him living in us. And then third, we're done. Satisfaction is emptied by wrong belief. Look at John 7, verses 40 to 44. Back to John chapter 7, verses 40 to 44. And when some of the crowd heard these words, they said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring, from the town of Bethlehem? Where have they been living? What rock did they crawl out from under? Anyway, whatever. Uh, Where David once lived, so a division occurred among the crowd because of him, and some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Why? Because it wasn't his time. So what happens is their satisfaction got emptied by their wrong belief. You see, what happens in our lives is the pressure becomes so formidable because of our background, because of our tradition, because of our beliefs, because of our peer pressure from our family, from our friends, from our workmates, We get emptied and we try to start finding satisfaction in other things. We think that's enough. Whenever Jesus makes a call, as I said earlier, it will always bring divisiveness. The gospel will always bring divisiveness. It is the gospel that offends. That's the only thing we want to offend, but it is the gospel that offends. And when satisfaction is emptied by doing and by exhausting ourselves of the wrong things, that only brings confusion. So we turn away from what God wants us to do. Who are you? Who are you? Maybe you're the legalist. You know, what they, were, they said, maybe he's the prophet. They wanted Jesus to be the prophet. They wanted him to be Moses. That's who the prophet was. He was the one that brought the law, and they were trusting in the law, and that was their tradition, and that was what they believed, and that's how they lived for thousands of years, and now they, maybe Jesus was going to come, and he was going to show them all how to live in the law that they could not live in. They blew it every time. By the way, you've blown it every time too, so don't talk too big about them, all right? But they were the legalists. Religious, religious law keepers And they thought they could find answers there. But there were other people. These were what I call the social justice warriors. They didn't think he was uh, the prophet. They said, this is Messiah. Notice they just used the word Messiah because to them, Messiah was going to be this guy that would come and straighten out social ills. He would come and straighten out all the social ills. He'd make everything right. He'd take Rome out. He would... You know, make sure that they get enough food. He would make sure there'd be no more hungry people. He'd make sure, he'd make sure, he'd make sure. He'd make it all right. Maybe you're one of those people that think that's what Jesus does. He just comes to make, make all the problems of the world go away. 
Folks, we live in a broken world where Jesus comes and fixes our broken world and fixes my brokenness. Doesn't mean we don't help people, doesn't mean don't we minister to people, but this world will always be broken because we live in a broken world that is marred by sin. And then third, and this is where we are, I hope, and this is where I hope you are, and if you're not, you need to get on this. The believer knows that only Jesus satisfies. Jump back up to verse 39. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The believer knew, these people knew that it was only that Jesus that was giving rivers of living water. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus would bring real life. That life that was found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his spirit would live inside of us. So in the present, in that present right there, what, is it, what did his detractors want to do? They wanted to seize him ultimately to put him on trial and to eventually kill him. And one day they would do that, but not this day. Then says, no one laid hands on him. And I guess that's the final lesson of satisfaction. When it's Jesus' purpose, plan, and will, there's nothing going to change it. That's why you can wake up in the morning and know that Jesus has got it under control. Whatever you're going through, Jesus didn't wake up surprised about it. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're going through, he is there to bring us his satisfaction because we have trusted in him to accomplish his purpose and his plan, no matter the circumstances, as we keep our eyes focused on him. And Jesus sees where you are and is asking very clearly this morning, who do you say that I am? This sounds eerily like Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter got it right. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He put the two things together. Nobody in that crowd had done it. But inspired by the Spirit of God from heaven, Peter got it right. My question is, do you have it right? Have you come to a place in your life to believe in the risen Savior? That he died in your place, that he paid your time, that he died on that cross that you might have eternal life. He died for you in your place. You see, he came and he died on that cross for a criminal, me. I had broken God's law. I was on my way to a Christless eternity in hell. And I needed forgiveness and I needed a Savior. And that would only be found in living water flows from the Spirit of God. Where are you looking for that satisfaction? Real satisfaction can only be found in a Savior. So my question to you today is what will you do with Jesus? In just a moment, I'm going to be standing at the foot of these steps. We're going to have people at the crosses. You can go talk to us about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember I talked to us about a no-so salvation, not a hope-so salvation or a think-so you don't know for sure, for certain, if you were to die today, you'd be in heaven with Jesus, you need to come see one of us. We'll show you in the Word of God how you can know for sure that you're, you're, a, you're a child of God. And you'll find real satisfaction in Him. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of coming to know you as Savior and Lord of our lives. Thank you for the privilege of hearing and responding to your Word today. Thank you, Lord, that you are a great and wonderful and mighty God. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We honor you. Lord, and we, we know that... 
It is you that this living water, now that we have the Spirit of God, who lives in us, this living water flows out of us. And we are so grateful that you have done that for us. We love you today, Jesus. And Lord, as we prayed at the very beginning of this message, if you speak to us today, may we obey. Now is the time for us to do what you've asked us to do, whatever it is in our lives. Whatever you said as the Spirit spoke to us this morning, that we would do it. In Jesus' name, amen.